reading today is Colossians 1, 24 to chapter 2, 5. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one who we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So this end so to this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all those who have met not me have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Wasn't it wonderful to hear that interview with Mark? Uh, just reminded me that, that we are very much people on the road, you know, like we're all works in progress and God uh, stirring us up and we're learning things. I know Sue and I are often, you know, sitting down and thinking, you know, we're still making it up as we go along a bit, you know, even though we've been Christians for a while now. And I think that's just, that's the nature of being followers of Jesus. The other thing is you do it in community. Don't you? You don't. You never do the sort of walk with the Lord in isolation. And I know that last couple of Sundays we've had lunch with various people. It's been so good to hear the stories, you know, where people have come from and how God has sort of been at work in their lives. And that's the nature of who we are, isn't it? Like some of us uh, probably here today are still working out if we're going to follow Jesus. Not quite there yet. Others have been, you know, Christians for decades. But we're all in the same space. We all exist by the grace of God, working it out together. And that's a, it's actually a wonderful place to be and a wonderful thing to be a part of a community where we actually work that out together. Yeah, so it was really, it was great to hear from Mark. Uh, Sue and I've loved being here, uh, catching up with you. Uh, we've enjoyed just reconnecting uh, for a few weeks as... Um, as Colin said, if you've got any tricky questions about Colossians, uh, uh, today's a good day to ask me those questions, but just save them up for Colin. It's interesting, one of the verses in the passage we're looking at today, we'll get to it, I think is one of the trickiest verses in the whole New Testament. Okay, so i just prompt you with that. You probably recognised it when you heard it. And uh, in my experience, when I come to a passage in the Bible that is tricky, I start to think about who I can get in as a guest preacher. Right, and uh, I want to say congratulations, Colin. Well done. Uh, very wise. <laughs> Let me pray, and then uh, let's jump into it together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, actually your word is so clear and straightforward, and we pray that as we wrestle with it together, 
Uh, you'll help us to do that. Uh, train us, shape us, rebuke us, correct us by your word. And help us to do that as we do it in love with one another together. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's some years ago now, but there's, there was a guy called Steve that I had connection with. He became a believer. He uh, was a tradie, a ceiling fixer. And uh, he became a Christian, and we started meeting fairly regularly to read the Bible together. Uh, one night after work, he came to our place for tea, and I said, yeah, how was your day? He said, it was terrific, right? He said, I became a Christian today, which was a little puzzling for me, because I thought he'd become a Christian several months prior. And uh, I said, mate, you're already a Christian. He said, no, no. He said, I thought I was, but I wasn't. And I discovered today I wasn't. And uh, so I got him to tell me the story. He was working with a guy, you know, fixing ceilings. And this guy, uh, they got talking and uh, explained he was a Christian. The other guy said he was too. They swapped stories. And the guy explained to him that actually he wasn't a Christian uh, because he didn't speak in tongues and because he hadn't been baptised by full immersion in this guy's church. And uh, so he came home and Steve just explained this to me. Anyway, I... I took him through the Bible, went over various verses, didn't seem to be making much progress at all. So I thought, I'll pull out my ace up the sleeve, you know, my trump card, okay? I said, Steve, you understand if what you're saying is the case, then I'm not a Christian either. And he sort of paused. He said, yeah, but you can become one as well, you know? (laughs) Okay, you know, anyway, actually the story ended well, I can tell you about it later. But over the years, that's been my experience. I've come across people, young in the faith, who've been led astray by someone promising more, you know, some secret thing they had to discover or do or say. Uh, Young Christians or older Christians who've lost a little bit of uh, zest in their Christian life and started looking around for something to pump up their tires a bit. Yeah, just to get them a bit more excited about the Christian life. Uh, I know some have just walked away after decades. People have been good friends and just felt heartbroken. I know a guy who uh, was a good friend who uh, his father died, not a believer. And this guy, Peter, stopped following Jesus because he couldn't bring together the reality of his father not believing and what would have happened to him for all eternity with what he believed. And it was just just so sad. And then there are some, I think, that I've observed who've just drifted. You know, once been really excited about the faith, but just feels like they were running downhill for a long period of time. Other things just crept in and took over and they got distracted. If you can identify with any of that, then what you have is a window into the heart of the Apostle Paul as he writes this letter to the Colossians. Remember, Paul had never visited this church. Um, Epaphras had come to Ephesus, heard Paul gone back and effectively started and planted this church. And Paul writes to the church, there are false teachers in Colossae, no doubt people who are promising something more. Uh, something extra, something that they needed to do. But what they were doing was undermining the faith of these Christians. 
And so Paul writes this letter to help them stand solid in the face of those challenges. Listen to some of the key statements he makes. He says in chapter 1, verse 23, he's writing, so they'll continue in their faith. Verse 28, the passage we just heard read, his goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. Uh, The verses that immediately follow that Colin will pick up next week. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, but can I say 2,000 years later, this letter is just as relevant for us here at Trinity Church Woodcroft. Just as relevant. Because Paul wanted the Colossians and he wants us to stay solid as we walk with Jesus. And what Paul does is he considers what can distract us and then positively what we need to be doing to stay solid. Okay, what can distract us, what we do to stay solid. That's, um, that's where, where he's going. He starts off talking about how suffering uh, fits in with the Christian life. Certainly for him, but also for us by implication. And now we, we come to that verse that I was saying. You, have you ever, you, know, you ever read something in the Bible and you think, that cannot possibly be true? That can't be right. Okay, here's the verse. Look at it with me. It's verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. There are all sorts of questions that that raises. How do you have joy in suffering? What's lacking in Christ's afflictions or suffering? I mean, what's lacking there? And how does Paul the Apostle think he's going to make up for what Christ didn't do? All those things are sort of stated in this verse. Let me just try and tackle those together. We, we normally think suffering robs us of happiness and joy. Right? They're, like this last week, I, I, um, one night, I started getting a really sore hip. By the following morning, uh, I could barely get out of bed. It's just been incredibly sore for the last few days. Now, let me say, I think I would have been happier not to have my hip problem. And you know that experience, don't you? You know that physical things can just drain you and pull you down. Paul the Apostle here, he's writing from prison in Rome, and he says he rejoices in his suffering rejoices in his suffering. Some uh, uh, who put themselves forward as Christians and Christian teachers, they'll say that God doesn't want us to suffer, that God wants you to be healthy and successful and wealthy and happy, and anything less is a denial of the blessings that God has for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I say that's not biblical Christianity? It's absolute rubbish, to be quite honest. And anyone who reads the Bible will be able to work that out fairly quickly. And this passage actually alerts us uh, to what is going on. Paul, Paul suffers, and I take it what he's also saying is Christians will suffer as well. 
Now that comes with just living in a broken, sinful world that the Lord Jesus Christ hasn't returned to yet. Um, You know, my hip problem is a part of that. And Christians are caught up in the general pain of this world. Uh, It's a broken world. But the particular suffering that Paul has in mind here is the suffering that comes because you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, not just because you live in a broken world. Verse 24, he says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in Christ's afflictions. So what, what can be lacking in Christ's sufferings? Really? Especially if you've just read through the first part of Colossians, like we had the last few weeks. 1 Peter 3, 18, it was a verse actually that Colin quoted during the Lord's Supper. Listen to it again. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. At this point in Colossians, Paul is not saying there's something lacking in Jesus' death on the cross for the sins of the whole world. He's not saying that. He's not also uh, saying that you need to add something to Jesus' death to be saved, you know, whether it be uh, Jesus' death plus, plus baptism in one church by full immersion, like my friend Steve said, or uh, Jesus' death. He's not even saying Jesus' death plus suffering to be saved. He's not saying Jesus' death plus church going. He's not saying Jesus' death plus speaking in tongues. He's not saying Jesus' death in any sort of religious activity. He's not saying that. So here's the question. What is lacking in Christ's suffering? What's lacking in Christ's suffering? What do you reckon? Well, let me flip the question. How does Paul's suffering or our suffering, how does it add to Christ's suffering? Well, how is it connected there? Maybe that's a question to think about. I want to remind you... uh, of Paul's history. Back in Acts chapter 9, Paul becomes a Christian. Jesus appears to him on the Damascus road. And this is the Jesus who's been raised from the dead and ascended to heaven. Okay? And then in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus, the ascended Lord Jesus, says to Paul the Apostle, calling him Saul at this stage, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me okay now remember where's jesus at this point he has ascended to the right hand of the heavenly father is it possible for saul the apostle paul to persecute jesus at this point not a chance (laughs) not a chance right no way he can get his hands on jesus and persecute him in any way but you get the point don't you Uh, paul had been persecuting God's people, and Jesus says, you persecute them, you persecute me. There's that identification. It's a bit like um, the experience most parents know with their kids, right? You touch my kids, right? You have to deal with me. You know, like it's that sort of sense of association and connection at that point. When we suffer, Christ's body, his people, Christ suffers, okay? He identifies with us in our suffering. Worthwhile knowing. But what does Paul mean when he says he makes up 
for what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Okay, let me come back to that question because I haven't really answered it, have I? In Acts chapter 9, verse 16, Jesus also speaks to Ananias and tells him to go and speak to Paul the Apostle and actually lay his hands on him so he can be healed from blindness. This is what Jesus says to Ananias about Paul. I will show him, Paul, how much he must suffer for my name. See, this is the affliction uh, that's being talked about. There's something to do with Paul's suffering that continues what the Lord Jesus has done. That's what's going on. Jesus is the one, the firstborn from all creation, the firstborn from the dead, the one who reconciles us by his death and resurrection to the heavenly father. What's our task? Well, Paul explains his, but it's the task of every believer really, not the apostle bit, but joining in this this, uh, task of taking the risen Lord Jesus out. It's verse 28. Paul says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Paul's talking about the, the spread of the news about the risen Lord Jesus. And he's saying that the news about Jesus, this message, must be proclaimed to every person under heaven so that they might know peace with God. That's the task the apostle has. That's the task that his people have. That's the task we share with our neighbours, our friends, our colleagues. That's the task we have for a suburb and a region that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ to take this message. But what Paul is saying is that if you run about that, then you will suffer for it. But he rejoices. Why does he rejoice? Well, because through the proclamation of this word, people will come into a living relationship with God. That's worth suffering for. That is an absolutely worthwhile thing. But can I say it's the same for all believers? Paul says, verse 24, I rejoice in my suffering for you. You see, it's the presenting the maturing Christ that he thinks is worthwhile suffering for. Listen to 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. We're told that everyone who longs to live a godly life will be persecuted. See, we stand in line with the Apostle Paul in taking Christ to an unbelieving world. And the realistic believer knows that that will come with persecution. It will come with opposition. It will come with rejection. Christianity involves suffering with joy. Joy because we're identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. Joy because this is the most worthwhile thing you can do with your life. Nothing better. Paul also talks positively. Um, I think the, the, the suffering, understanding it, um, the distraction of it is quite powerful. But he moves on and talks about the main thing as a Christian person, growing in maturity in Christ, the big goal. Verse 28, presenting everyone mature in Christ. Paul doesn't want anyone 
to chapter 2, verse 4. Deceive these Colossians with fine-sounding arguments. Yeah, you just need to speak in tongues. You get baptized in my church by full immersion, then you'll be right. Yeah, he doesn't want people to be conned. Well, how does that happen? That's well, verses 25 and 26. His task is to present the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations, but it's now disclosed to the Lord's people. Now, when he talks about the mystery that's been hidden, you know, we, the way we tend to use mystery is, ooh, you know, like the sort of uh, the mysterious ways in, in which things can happen. It's not the way the Bible uses it. The, the way the Bible talks about mystery is really more like uh, information previously not known, which is now disclosed. Uh, but you do need it to be disclosed. So if I pull something out of my pocket, okay, got something in my hand here, right? And uh, I know what it is, right? But I'm taking it at this stage, probably you don't. Anyone want to guess what it is? Hmm? Handkerchief. No, not a handkerchief, my goodness. What, what a terrible guess. <laughs> but, but, but how can you know? A coin. a coin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be lots of things, of course. How will you know? It would probably be handy if I told you what it was, eh? Yeah. So what it is is a vacuum-sealed packed of fudge, okay? That's pretty obvious, really. <laughs> also, does, anyone, does anyone like fudge? Anyone like fudge? I can't keep it then. Um, do you get the point being made here? The mystery is something that was predicted in the Old Testament, something that was announced by God, something we knew was coming, but its fullness is only revealed when the Lord Jesus Christ actually enters this world, lives, suffers, dies, rises, and is ascended. Then the mystery, the information is fully disclosed. Paul proclaims everything he says here. He says salvation is accomplished through the Lord Jesus. The content of it, we, we heard about that last week in verse 22. Uh, we, we heard it read during the communion service. Now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. This is the wonderful declaration of what we have in Christ. It's a simple message. It's really simple. And yet it's profound. Notice in verse 27, he says, This is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This mystery, verse 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you read through the New Testament, often you hear about um, the fact that we are in Christ and the fact that Christ is for us. This is different. It's actually Christ in you. It's unusual, actually. But what it's speaking about is the intimacy we have with God. Jesus, the one who is at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, by the work of his Holy Spirit, dwells in believers and brings home the riches of our relationship with God, brings it home to us now 
and fraternity. Forgiveness, reconciled to God, blameless in his sight. And also the assurance, you pick it up, the hope of glory. Again, hope, the way we use it is, I hope the Crows will win the premiership this year, right? That is a faint hope, okay? It is you know, sort of a, it is no way, I know I'm discouraging some of you, but it's just a reality, okay, you know? Hope's not being used here. Hope is certainty in the Bible. Uh, the hope of glory is the conviction that the best is yet to come. Rubbish and suffering now with the Lord forever. Certain. And how do you present everyone mature in Christ? What's the secret source? Well, verse 28. We proclaim Christ. It's all about Jesus. All about what he's done. All about what he's accomplished for us. All about trusting in that. Knowing that Christ is in us. The hope of glory. I want to finish just by talking about a few, I think, implications that come uh, out of this passage. There are lots of things, but I'll pick up on a couple. Uh, let me talk about uh, proclaiming Christ. I, I've been a Christian for over 40 years, a pastor for over 30, and uh, I know that's not very long by comparison with some of you here, uh, but you, like me, will, will know that over the years there are lots of ways in which people have tried to add to Jesus, I can think of, you know, things that have happened in recent times. Uh, when I say recent, you know, last 20 years, say. You know, it was a great phase of laughing in the spirit that uh, came through Adelaide a few years ago. Uh, there have been holiness movements. Sure, you're a believer, but if you want to experience the fullness of relationship with God, you've got to adopt these patterns in your life and uh, do these certain things and regiment your life with certain religious rules and... If you've been around for a while, you'll know that. Uh, there have always been gurus who will emerge from time to time. Believe in Jesus, but this person helps me understand Jesus much better than this. Other, you know, like, there's always the possibility of being deflected to a person who steps into the place of the Lord Jesus. There's speaking in tongues. Lots of stuff that can come up that can distract us. Friends, if you want to grow up as a follower of Jesus, then it is all about Jesus. And anything else that gets thrown onto the screen that's not about Jesus is not genuine. Appreciating the blessings we have in Christ, that'll always be the focus of our message. As a church, it's going to be front and centre for us always. It's one of the reasons why I love the fact that Colin is here as a pastor, because he just has a, a simple, rich concern for Jesus to be at the centre of your community. We share that together. And over the years, I've seen people who've subtracted from that message as well. And that can come in different forms. I think one of the great pressures we're under right now is that we're tempted to preach Jesus and subtract judgment. You know, because it's not, doesn't seem very friendly or popular. And yet when you get to verse 21 in Colossians 1, it talks about the fact that we're enemies because of our sin enemies we deserve the wrath of god and yet god in his kindness sends his son so get rid of judgment the fact that we're enemies or sin and you just water down the very reason for christ coming and dying you just erode the gospel 
itself. Friends, he is the one we proclaim, riches in Christ. Can I just ask you to think for a moment, if, um, if you're going to get distracted from following Christ, add to, subtract from, whatever it might be, what do you reckon it would be for you? Have you got a sense of what it would be? Maybe, um, you know, suffering hitting someone close to you. Maybe you've got children who haven't decided to follow the Lord Jesus. And what you're tempted to do is just to fudge the boundaries of the gospel so they can still fit. But it does mean eroding the gospel. Does it, you know, what would it be for you? Friends, don't, don't put your hope in this world. And put it in Christ. And yet I think the, the greatest distraction uh, that I would say that I've observed over the years is the suffering in this world and the suffering that comes with being a follower of Jesus because you promote him. I think they're powerful things. And one of the wonderful things this chapter does is that it helps us understand where we fit in terms of those problems, those issues that go on around us. 2 Timothy 3.12 Everyone who longs to live a godly life will be persecuted. Will be. It's not a sort of an optional extra. It's reality. A few years ago, I was reading the Bible with a different guy. A guy came from overseas, studied at Adelaide University, graduated, and I was reading the Bible in his mid-30s, with him in his mid-30s when he became a Christian came from a Buddhist family uh, overseas, and when he became a follower, he told his family that he'd become a Christian, and they completely disowned him and cut him off. would have nothing more to do with him. His wife, who was a Buddhist, and there'd been sort of a, a matchmaker thing that had been done because of the culture, she divorced him, left him and divorced him because of his faith in Christ. Uh, After he'd been a Christian for a number of months, he got this telephone call from his brother-in-law from this overseas country who said he was coming to Sydney. So my friend was here in Adelaide. And he wanted to meet up with him. So it was great. Someone from the family was reaching out. So he went to Sydney. They met in a hotel. And this brother-in-law explained that he had so dishonoured the family name and disgraced them. And he was here to persuade him to renounce his faith in Christ and... uh, get back on the bandwagon and he said in order to induce him he the family were going to make him an offer of a million dollars so that he might renounce his conversion to Christ by the end of this meeting in the hotel the offer had gone up to six million dollars if he would only renounce his following of Jesus I remember saying to him I said what were you thinking when the offer got up to six million bucks he said, I was thinking of all the wonderful things I could do with that, including Christian ministry, of course, you know. <laughs> and I said, what happened then? He said, this vision of hell passed in front of my eyes. Yeah, what, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Friends, can I say, 
if you're faithful to Christ, you will suffer now. Christ suffers with us when we suffer. But it's for a wonderful cause. It's for the only cause that matters, actually, the proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Suffer now, but glory later. Suffer now, glory later. Friends, you want to grow to maturity as a Christian? Just make sure Jesus is your screensaver. All that he's done for you in Christ. And don't be naive about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Understand the implications that come with that. But rejoice that you can't worthy to suffer for him as we get about the task of helping others come to know that Saviour and be with us for all eternity. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your wonderful kindness to us and your Son. We thank you for the mercy you've shown us in him. We thank you that in him uh, we have all that counts for all eternity. We know that the reality is that life in this world will be bumpy in all sorts of different ways. And yet you've secured us for all eternity with the anchor that really counts. And Father, we pray that those truths will just grip our hearts, our lives, so we might be seduced by living in a world you've created by the creation, but rather we'll just long to know you more and all you've done for us more. Help us to be faithful, settled, joyful in the struggles, knowing the one we serve. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.